Well, as spring football continues, Oregon's cornerbacks could play out from a depth chart standpoint in about 50 different ways. And I think that's great. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. And there are more bodies in Oregon's cornerback room going into spring this year. I feel like that present questions than we had last year. And the reason I think that the ambiguity of how this could shake out compared to how I did last season at the cornerbacks position, again, not talking about safeties, just talking about the corners here. We already talked about the safeties. You want to check that out, go uh, listen or watch that, uh, that episode. I think it was last week on the show. The reason I think the ambiguity is good is because you want to have in a position group that is losing a first-round draft pick at cornerback in Christian Gonzalez and didn't have a consistent number two last year and has a lot of different guys who are talented but don't have a tremendous amount of experience and you know history of playing at a high level consistently, you want to bring out the best in them. You want these guys to be fighting for their jobs. You want these guys to be out there going at it Friendly, of course, you know, in in practice and whatnot. Don't want them literally fighting, but you want them fighting each other from a competitive standpoint down to the very last practice as much as you can. And look, I think the safeties could play out a number of different ways, but I feel more confident about what my safeties prediction was than what I feel about what, what my prediction will be a little bit later in the show for how the corners are are going to play out. Plus, a fascinating story on Khalil Ware that you all need to hear later as well. But so. As spring football continues here, the corners on the roster for Oregon, you've got Jaleel Florence, you've got Dante Manning, Triquez Bridges, Kamari Terrell, Kyrie Jackson, Jaleel Tucker, Darren Barkins, Cole Martin, Avante Dickerson, Dalen Austin, and Roderick Pleasant coming in in this class. And then you have a handful of guys uh, that are listed as defensive backs, but I believe are, are primarily walk-ons. So you've got 11 different players at the cornerback position who – when they were recruited to Oregon, whether it's from the high school prep ranks or via the transfer portal, you saw potential, and we've seen potential play out in in some of these guys' careers to this point. And I think there are a lot of interesting, you know, ways that that this could go for Oregon's cornerback room because you have so many different guys, and you don't know, you know, how everyone is going to look this year compared to last year, right? Which Triquez Bridges is going to show up to spring football? Which Triquez Bridges is going to put on a display at practice day in and day out for the Oregon coaches? Is it the guy we saw at the end of last year? Because that was someone who looked like, hey, that's a quality start, starting corner who could maybe be an all-conference player one day. Or is it closer to the guy we saw at the start of the year where it's, hey, he looks like a defensive liability out there. Can we please play Dante Manning? Those are the two different sides I would like to think, and I'll lay out later why I do think that it'll be the second part of uh, of what we saw from Bridges, as I talked about on yesterday's show. I think he could be poised to make a really, really big jump. But 
I, I think when you look at that room, you have a mix of size. You know, Florence has got good size. Bridges, of course, a former safety at, uh, at six foot three. You've got some speed. You've got athleticism. And, you know, Dante Manning, certainly the best overall athlete, the five-star recruit who were, you know, still waiting to pop. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not really waiting on that. I'm not putting all my eggs into that Dante Manning basket this year. I would love for it to happen because if he has something click in his head and he becomes a better cover corner and PFF did not grade him well as a coverage corner in 2022, if he makes a jump this year, he could be the best corner out of any of these guys. He could absolutely do it. He is twitchy and he has explosiveness and speed like none of the other guys do. But so far, making the jump to the college game, it just hasn't clicked for him yet. It could, maybe he's a long-term development here, but that seems to be something we keep waiting for year in and year out. And I, I'm just not going to get overly excited about it while remaining open to the possibility that it could happen. And I would love for that to happen because I think, you know, he could be a tremendous player for Oregon's defense, but a lot of things to uh, to work on there. So, you know, the freshman coming in, Dalen Austin was the guy they flipped from Baylor after uh, Caleb Presley flipped to Washington. And then Roderick Pleasant, of course, a lot of hype around him. You know, he could be a guy, I, I think, that plays on special teams as a true freshman. Um, it, you know, some of these other guys, Jaleel Tucker, he's got high-end speed. Could see him being a special teams contributor. Could also see him getting on the field. Like any of these guys, you know, are are four star recruits. I think Terrell was a three star, but that felt like an underrating at, at the time. All these guys are four or five star recruits that you you look at athletically and you know where they were playing and what the expectations were, and they're guys who you feel like should be able to come in and be contributing players at at, at some point in time in in their careers. So. The, the names you've got there, you know, Florence has got some experience from last year. He logged over 200 snaps. Dante Manning, uh, he's, of course, going into year, I think this is year four. Pretty sure, yeah, he was class of 2020 with Noah Sewell. So 2020, 21, 22, yeah. So this is going to be year four for Dante Manning, which is crazy because he just, like, hasn't been on the field all, all that much. Dryquez Bridges, he's been on the field quite a bit as we know Kamari Terrell not as much Kyrie Jackson is a transfer Jaleel Tucker not much Darren Barkins Vontae Dickerson not at all Cole Martin a uh, a true freshman in there along with Dalen Austin and Roderick Pleasant so I list all these names out to kind of preface my prediction for what you know I I feel about the cornerbacks room going into spring football right we'll reevaluate a lot of this stuff on the other side of spring practice and, and the spring game to kind of you know see what what the coaches have said what we've seen you know in in spring game and you know tidbits that we've tried to pick up in the post-practice interviews and all that sort of stuff but in 2022 there were four corners four cornerbacks who played 200 or more snaps there were other defensive backs. I think it was three safeties or players that PFF lists as safeties who uh, played in, in that sort of range as well. But when you're looking at this group of guys, you need to pick out four based on what we saw last year. Maybe it'd be five. Maybe it'd only be three. But whether it's injuries, rotation, matchups, you're looking at probably four guys who are going to play meaningful, consistent snaps and need to be able to perform at a pretty high level regularly for the Ducks, right? And a year ago, it was TriQuest Bridges. It was Dante Manning. It was Gonzo, who, of course, is going to the NFL first rounder, and Jaleel Florence. So 
going into the season, you're trying to replace Gonzo on the one hand, but you're also trying to kind of elevate what you had after Gonzo, right? Because from a coverage standpoint on the perimeter, it kind of felt like it was Gonzo. And then there was a drop off at times, though it got better as uh, the season went on. So who do I think the top four will be? You can't bet who my top four will be at FanDuel, but you can bet everything else you'd want to find because grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. There's no better place to get in on the Major League Baseball action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your first bet, get up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if you don't win you just have to go to fandle.com slash locked on to sign up you can also download their app which is safe secure and super easy to use fandle.com slash locked on to get that no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win fandle official partner of major league baseball okie dokie prediction time here we go I think you're starting two corners, right? Looking at a 4-2-5 defense. You got two edge players. You got two defensive tackles, two linebackers. You've got a star safety, strong safety, free safety, and two corners. I think that those top two corners are going to be Triquez Bridges, one, who I talked about on yesterday's show with, with my man Ryan Winter. Sorry, you two people. Something was in my eye there. I had to scratch it out real quick. I think Triquez Bridges will be one of them. I think the growth he showed, position continuity from a coaching standpoint, a lot of the defensive coaches are still there, right? Matt Pallage was the safeties coach. Chris Hampton now voice in that room, but Demetrius Martin is still there. And you've got, you know, Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy still his voice is there. I think Bridges athletically, you know, he was undergoing a transition from a position standpoint. And that you, you really can't underestimate how big of an adjustment that is for a guy in terms of maximizing his potential on the field. So I do think Bridges will be one. Right now, I suspect Kyrie Jackson will be the other starting corner. I think it's pretty rare that you bring a guy in who comes from a school like Alabama and he's not going to be the starter. Now, that doesn't mean every transfer is automatically going to start. Because we've seen, you know, Caleb Chapman was a wide receiver, came from Texas A&M. He caught one pass last year against Eastern Washington. It's not automatic that just because a guy's a transfer, he's going to be a starter. But you also have to remember that the coaching staff and, you know, their support staff and everyone, recruiters and all that, they are bringing that guy in because they see something, right? But I do think you look at a guy like Connor Soley coming from Arizona State and say, that might be more of a depth piece. I don't think someone from Arizona State is who you know wasn't a big player there is an automatic starter at the linebacker position, right? I, I think your starting linebackers are probably Justin Jacobs and Jeff Bossa. Sully might rotate in there. He could play some star safety. You know, I, I saw a picture of him the other day though. He looks pretty big, so he might be more of a linebacker's build. Keith Brown, I think, will be in that linebacker's rotation, but I think Bridges will be one. I think Jackson will be the other, but I feel more solid in you know my confidence level on saying Bridges is a starter right now than I do Jackson because Kyrie Jackson's kind of an unknown right he started his career at uh, the junior college level he goes to Alabama he was a four-star transfer there three-star transfer coming to Oregon so you know still a, a solid prospect but not a world beater necessarily he wasn't like super highly coveted 
comes from Alabama, a lot of pedigree there. His career was kind of up and net. Like it's a bit of a question mark. So that's kind of a default answer for me. But I also feel like they probably saw something there that, you know, made them think he'd be a starting corner. So I think those are your first two. I think your your nickel corner, I'll go with Dante Manning. I, I will go with Dante Manning kind of reluctantly because I think he, and by when I say nickel corner, I just mean, you know, packages where they put uh, three, three cornerbacks on the field, which they did several times last year. There are a lot of instances where, you know, Manning was the third corner. So he does have some institutional credibility already there with, with the coaching staff. I think Manning will be there. And then I think your top rotation guy, I think that's Drew Little Florence. I, I think Flor and by the way, the guy in this group who could change his status in in my view of where he stands on the depth chart compared to where I'm putting him right now, which is essentially fourth, I think the guy with the most potential for rising up the ranks is Jaleel Florence. His when he was playing last year, go watch some of the highlights of the Arizona game. He has some moments in coverage. He has a couple where he gets beat. And he had a couple against Stanford where, where, where he got beat. But when he was blanketing receivers, and he got flagged for a bogus pass interference in that Arizona game too, he looks the part in a big way. And that was the takeaway I had after the spring game with him last year as well, was, you know, he wasn't perfect. Maybe he needs to refine this, that, and the other thing. But boy, he looks like he belongs out there. And when he, he had sequences last year where he was just man-to-man, blanket coverage, on Dorian Singer. That's a second team all pack 12 wide receiver. And he had some moments where he was going toe to toe with him. I think Florence's potential is immense. I think we can see a step up from him this year. And I think Manning could very easily, you know, slide into that top rotation corner rather than being the top nickel corner. And Florence could be the number three. I, I really, really think that because I think Florence's potential is, is quite, quite high. But as always, curious as to your guys' thoughts on the cornerbacks here at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. You can also hop in the YouTube comments, drop a question, drop a thought, comment, concern, statement of outrage. As my uh, old AP gov teacher in high school, Mr. Kepping used to say, uh, that's how we ended every, every lecture was question, thoughts, comments, concerns, statement of outrage. Um, it was a great way. He, he did it much, much uh, in a much more witty fashion than, uh, than, than I just did. But that's what I think. Bridges, Jackson, top two. I think Manning edges out Florence because of experience for the top nickel slot. But I think Florence is is right there as well. And I really like the depth of this group, right? I think going forward, you look at guys like Jaleel Tucker. You look at guys like Kamari Torell, who's got great speed, saw some action last year. You look at Dalen Austin, Roderick Pleasant, Cole Martin coming in as true freshmen. I think you got a lot of bodies in that room going forward. Not that you shouldn't go after, you know, high caliber corner prospects in the 2024 recruiting cycle, but I wouldn't say it's, you know, a top priority compared to something like linebacker, for instance. So I want to switch over to Khalil Ware. So some of you may may have seen this. I I, I went on uh, an Indiana podcast. They wanted to have me on to talk about Khalil Ware and kind of, you know, what, what went wrong in Oregon, what could still go right and all this sort of stuff. And the guy, Jared, directed me to a piece in, I think it was Arkansas. Let me, let me, let me find it specifically in case you want to go read it. Cause it's, it's an interesting read. I will be summarizing it here uh, for you, but um, best of Arkansas sports.com. It's called accusations of uh, laziness, dogging Indiana commit Khalil Ware deserve deeper look. 
It's by a guy by name by by the name of Nate Olson. He put it out uh, just uh, just a few days ago, and I thought he had some really interesting insights there. And I talked about this with Jared on on the show, but basically the piece is outlining that Khalil wears a guy from Little Rock, Arkansas, ended up going to college at the University of Oregon in Eugene. Why did that happen, right? How does that connection take place? How do you go from Arkansas in a state with a high-level basketball program and a big-time coach in Eric Musselman, who's coached in the NBA, who wins March Madness games, has made runs, was in the Sweet 16 again this year, big reputation. You know, they'd been to the Elite Eight uh, the, the season prior when Khalil Ware was uh, figuring out his college commitment. Arkansas recruited him very heavily. They went after him in the portal. Like, why would a guy like that go to Eugene, Oregon? The answer is Chris Crutchfield. And Chris Crutchfield was, you know, according to this piece, and I think this makes a lot of sense with what we've talked about with Ware here on the show, he was the guy that Ware, who is not a big talker, I don't know that I've ever really heard him speak more than two or three times. He's not real vocal. He's very quiet. He's reserved. He doesn't play, you know, with a lot of energy, as we know, which is why, you know, this piece, Accusations of Laziness, right? It can come off as indifferent the way that he plays and just kind of his mannerisms. Doesn't mean he always is. I do think that the lack of offensive growth from the beginning of the season to the start or to the end of the season was telling on the one hand, but this was another factor that I had not considered and really kind of opened my eyes into why Khalil Ware, the second highest rate of men's basketball recruiting program history did not work out. And it wasn't a bull bull thing where he was battling injuries the whole time. He just didn't work out. It didn't click. So Crutchfield was the guy that recruited Ware most heavily. And then when Ware got to campus, Crutchfield left to go be the coach at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. And that left Khalil where I think without the guy that he most associated with, that he was closest with, that he felt the tightest kinship with. And the going theory in this piece is that he could still reach his potential, which he could, absolutely could. And a good point was made the other day by whoever runs the uh, – the account, which is uh, called Assembly Call, it's just at Assembly Call. Um, I assume that's a reference to, to Indiana somehow, some way. But they brought up a guy by the name of Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler, who just had an outstanding rookie season with the Utah Jazz. Pretty sure it's the Utah Jazz. <laughs> now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna double check that. Sorry that I do this, but I appreciate you uh, sticking with me anyway. But yeah, uh, Utah Jazz. So Walker Kessler spent two years in college. And he, too, is a seven-footer. And he was the 22nd overall pick in the NBA draft. He started his career at North Carolina, which was further from home. He went there. He struggled. He transferred. He went to Auburn. And he turned that second season into becoming a first-round pick. And I don't want all of you to be surprised if after this year, Khalil Ware ends up being a first-round pick and does productive things in the NBA. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I think it's you know pretty fair with what we saw from him this season to write off that possibility. But I don't think we should. And on the one hand, will it be disappointing and frustrating to see that? Yes, but it's just the way college sports unfortunately goes sometimes. Because remember, 
These are not grown men. These are kids. These, these are 18, 19. These are kids. And so if he's going that far from home and he's not a real outgoing guy and the one guy who he felt a personal closeness to ends up going elsewhere and he was left to figure out how to form that sort of bond with Dana Altman and it clearly didn't click. When you put all those factors together, it makes a lot more sense why Ware's season went the way it did, which was we saw individual flashes of greatness, but we didn't see an improvement at the offensive end. Dane Altman's always been more of a defensive head coach. We saw times where it looked like Ware was just kind of out there going through the motions, might have been overplayed because of his personality and just kind of his nature, possible. But I also think there were moments where it was like, are, are you playing it 100% all the time? Because I watched Nate Biddle go out there, and he's playing a lot harder than Ware consistently. And I'm really glad that Nate Biddle's back because he's got a lot of potential. And he got a lot better, right? Same coaching staff, but something clearly kicked with, or clicked with Biddle that didn't with Ware. Because the player that Nate Biddle was when the season started was not as good of a player as when the season ended. We saw Biddle start to unlock that potential and hopefully he'll be able to do that again next season. But Ware was the same player at the end of the year as he was at the start of the year. His athleticism allows him to have an impact defensively and rebounding. He can throw down some dunks off lobs that are really cool. And his offensive game is wildly unrefined. And this, this tidbit about Crutchfield being the guy that he was you know, really going to play for and wanting to play for, and then when he wasn't there, he kind of lost that and maybe, you know, on a personal level, perhaps kind of retreated into his shell because he's an introverted, kind of shy, quiet kid. And that allowed him or that didn't allow him to kind of maximize his full potential at Oregon. To me, that all makes a great deal of sense. And is it disappointing? Yep, it is. But that's that's the world. And I don't think Dane Altman should necessarily stop going after these highly recruited kids. Because remember, you know, Bull Bull was averaging like 21 and nine in a couple blocks. And then he got hurt, decided to, you know, sit out the rest of the season, partially, you know, because of the injury. There was some speculation about whether or not he needed to or whatnot. But regardless, he got hurt. Bull Bull was playing. Bull Bull was working. And Khalil Ware could have been that sort of player. But the personality side of it, I think, just didn't click. And so I hope it goes better for him at, at Indiana because his potential is immense. And I hate to see that, you know, go to waste because he could be a really high-level player. But I think once Crutchfield left, that option kind of went, uh, went by the wayside of Oregon, unfortunately. So I thought that was interesting, thought I'd share. Uh, another quick note on Oregon basketball, Rivaldo Soares is in the portal. Guy came from the JUCO ranks. Played with Oregon for two years. I think he's got just one year left as, as a graduate transfer. He reminds me a lot of Eric Williams. Not as good a shooter, unfortunately, which is what Oregon needed. But he's a guy who came off the bench, never needed the ball, sometimes was asked to score, and was able to do so successfully. And then wasn't a number one, but had stretches where he kind of looked like it. But it was never sustainable. But he played great defense athlete big wing you know can throw down some dunks make some i love waldo soars's mid-range game i i, I loved his mid-range game not as good of a three-point shooter as oregon needs so another roster slot available there 
there are options that you know they they will be going after uh in in the transfer portal you know they, they've already added the juco guard jadrian tracy to, to to try and up their shooting prowess a, a little bit we still know what brendan rigsby is going to do we still don't know about quincy garrier we still don't know about Enfali dante curious to see what happens there but soars in the portal wishing that guy nothing but the best i hope he goes to like a solid mid-major, frankly, I'd love for him to come to the WAC. As someone who does play-by-play in the Western Athletic Conference, I would love for him to come to the WAC. I think he could absolutely tear it up. Average, you know, 15 points, seven boards, three assists, and two steals a game. He, he could totally do that. I, I liked a lot of things about his game. Wish he'd shot the ball better. But he's a guy who came in, always played hard, did it at both ends, gave, gave effort. And so uh, that, that slot's available. He won't be back on Oregon's team's, team next year. So... Khalil Ware is transferred. Tyron Williams is transferring. Uh, Rivaldo Soares is transferring. Luke War is transferring. So that's four guys from this year's team. And that's, you know, close to 30-ish percent of, of, of the total roster. That's the college basketball world that, that we are in now. I saw something the other day that 20% of all Division I college basketball players have entered the portal at some point in time. As Kanye and Jay-Z so elegantly said, that bleep cray. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.